Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an OU football podcast. I am one of your hosts, Peyton Guthrie, back from the land of liberty, uh, France. Uh, you know, maybe not the originators well, of it, wait, obviously. France is the land of yeah, liberty? Yeah, they do all kinds of liberty. It's, it's, where, it's, where, it came, it's where it came from. Yeah, they, uh, wrote, the, uh, they wrote the stuff. Scotland yeah. as well, because, you know, the American Revolution, a lot of the stuff came from the Scottish uh, the Scottish. Uh, Enlightenment. We're into it now. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, we're into it now. Um, but I'm back, uh, joined as always, as you've heard, with the voices of Alan and Brady. Matt, our silent producer, is also here. Uh, he's mute. He, yeah, he's mute. Give please, the hang loose. Please don't. Please donate for Matt. <laughs> yeah, he's dropping. He's dropping the 70k watch flex on us right now. Uh, but. And thank you guys for uh, for joining us. Before I j- jump into this, we're already off the rails. Thank you so much for Vanessa House being our title sponsor, a Scratch Kitchen and Cocktail as well, and then Spirit Shop. They deliver and also interact with us on social media. So you guys keep that up uh, on, on Norman uh, Spirit Shop. And then one quick shout out. When I was over in France, I met up randomly with a subscriber and patron, uh, Phil Neighbors. Thank you so much for being there and uh, shouting us out and uh, hanging out, a preacher from uh, Oklahoma was uh, along with a trip for us and I was talking about a podcast and he started punching me in the arm saying, you're the keyhole guy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I am. That's so uh, cool. So very, very cool. Uh, we got to watch uh, OU Texas on an iPhone at, uh, it was about 9 PM there. <laughs> so that was really, is really kind of interesting. Uh, but anyway, we'll get into it. Uh, Alan, Brady, Matt, well, how, whoever wants to jump in first, because I'm still very, very jet lagged. I got in yesterday around 4 p.m. Uh, how was y'all's week? How was everything going on? Did, I heard there was a game. You didn't miss much. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nothing really happened. Anybody? Um, well, okay. I'll, I'll get started. OU played their absolute best game ever. I don't think the program has ever seen an OU performance quite like what we saw Saturday against Texas. I don't know if we're going to ever be able to like even sniff that performance. And it was even made better by the fact that Texas played the the worst game that these two eyes have ever seen. I, I was dumbfounded how awful they looked while Quinn Ewers completed 18 consecutive completions. I was completely at a loss when their suck-ass field goal kicker just nailed three field goals, and one of them being a go-ahead um, with a minute 17 to go in the game, I like it was incredible. Um, OU was lucky, quite frankly, to not only be six, no, but one and oh, two, three, four, five and oh, going into the game against 
uh, the mighty Texas Longhorns. And I'm still thinking God, Buddha, um, Elohim, Muhammad. I'm thinking all of the deities out there at this point, because again, I, I've watched OU football for over 20 years, never seen a performance like that. And I don't think we ever will again. I think also we should just, just owe Texas a thank you for just allowing them to share the field with, with, I mean, just exactly. Like that's really what it should be. I mean, a a conference, no less too. I mean, true. True. They they saved us all the money that they've pumped into OU's program and and the big 12 in general. Um, yeah, no, we're laying on the sarcasm here. Th- pretty thick, folks. Uh, if you, uh, I, I think that, in all honesty, sometimes you know, like watching someone else lose feels a lot better than winning. And there was something about this particular <laughs> OU Texas game where, uh, obviously, I loved watching OU win, but mm-hmm. I've. I found myself really more reveling um, afterwards and <laughs> so much of the, uh, 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 I guess, copium that uh, has been getting pumped out of Austin and uh, from tech fans in general, uh, you know, going into this because uh, it, it was, it really was kind of astounding to me how, I mean, all of us, Brady, Brady and I talked for like two hours last week, right. On the show, and we, we both felt, fairly skeptical about OU's chances of actually mm-hmm. winning this game. But um, the amount of overconfidence on the other side was stunning to me. Uh, there are you, you guys, I mean, if you're an OU fan, you, you're on any of the message boards or whatever, I'm sure you've seen the graphics going around, for example, some of the Texas media picks in terms of who, how they thought this game would play out. Um, and it clearly, it clearly did not go that way. And, uh, that, that part, the past couple of days has been quite, quite humorous. Yeah. That's the stuff too. That was, I mean, all four of us picked Texas to win. Uh, I, I don't know what it was. I mean, in the preseason, I don't know if we, if those picks got changed, uh, the week, you know, the, the week, the podcast leading up to it when we do our picks, but all four of us in the preseason picked Texas to win this game. Uh, you know, the narrative, uh, that was even parroted by us for, for the majority of it was, OU is just a year behind, you know, at this point in time, we're still developing depth, you know, the ceiling isn't quite there, so on and so forth, you know, Texas has a head start. Um, I think maybe that what we potentially didn't take into account, because six and seven is hard to take into account too much, is that OU's uh, talent development is still very good, almost regardless of the coaching staff, it, it appears. I mean, Brent may have been able to make up that year uh, through development from that point in time to kind of get OU to, you could say at this point in time, um, OU is on the same level uh, as Texas is at this point in time as a program walking to the SEC when I really thought they would be, you know, just one step behind until a couple of years uh, in, into the SEC to kind of get fully caught up. And now it seems like Texas OU will be completely on the exact same tier um, walking into that one of the favorite tweets I had I, that I saw was some uh, Texas fans tweeting, uh, showing like uh, what they believe was a pass interference and then saying, man, I can't wait to leave this conference. It's like, oh, you's going too. <laughs> man, like, uh, you're not getting away from them, buddy. You're not thinking through that all the way. Uh, but that was something very strange I saw. I'm just trying to get caught up being last uh, being out last week. I think SP Plus, just the raw numbers, had OU as a favorite. Now Bill Conley you know, had uh, uh, picked Texas uh, to do that. And then also K Ford, his rankings, who I'll have him on uh, Friday to discuss kind of the uh, project, 
OU's projections now post Red River had OU as an, uh, a minus one favorite, but he ended up picking Texas to win. Um, so it's kind of weird that it seemed analytically OU had a lot of positives walking into that game um, that people just did not want to see us four included <laughs> at that point of it. Uh, it. It's very, very interesting. They do seem like at this point in time, I guess we're just on the recap. We'll recap. I'll save some of these thoughts for a little bit later. It was cool to see OU uh, hold up against that defensive line and cool to see OU um, kind of basically cook, do what they wanted to do. Uh, the Dylan Gabriel running game very much so opened this up completely. Um, and it does seem like OU was saving a lot of that run action for this. I truly thought OU was going to have something much more because usually Sunday saves something in the bag. They really didn't other than they just ran Dylan Gabriel more. Uh, was there anything like Farouk. I haven't had a chance to see the full game yet? The Farouk, fruit, is there, was there anything like, like, that was like crazy? He would motion into the backfield frequently, and they tried to hand it hand it to him in the first half. And I think he had one run for like five or six yards, but there was nothing mm-hmm. really special. Yeah, and yeah, they did th- a couple direct snaps to him. Yeah, yeah, it was mainly just a manufacturer running game. And um, I mean, Alan, I, I you weren't on the little pre Zoom meeting that we had. Um, just yet. I told Matt and Peyton and our listeners don't know this, but on the ride home today, I listened to three Texas Longhorn podcasts, uh, three Texas post game podcasts from Saturday. And they all essentially said the same thing. Even um, was Chip Brown ever on this pod? Like, was he on Keyhole once or am I misremembering? Who? I can't remember. Chip... Could Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Well, it, it, it probably would have been with Alan. Um, so if Not Alan was with me, okay. <laughs> um, they hate each other. <laughs> Big beef. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dylan Gabriel, like Matt and I saying his praises on the post game pod. I still believe that um, one of the we'll get into a lot of the Texas reaction, I'm sure later on in the show. But um, you you kind of were already mentioning it, Peyton, about the wrinkles that oh, you brought to the table. And it was just, oh, it's just the QB running game. Every single Texas podcast that I listened to essentially said, you know, it was kind of a bummer that we didn't get to play Jalen Daniels the week before with Kansas because he would have prepared um, Texas, the defense, to face a mobile dual-threat quarterback. And I'm like, breaking news, I had no idea Dylan Gabriel was a dual-threat quarterback. He rushed for over 100 yards in this game. It was a performance of a lifetime on the ground for Dylan Gabriel. And overall, as like a football player, it was like a performance of a lifetime. Uh, but he had some accuracy issues during the game. And also, as one of the loudest Dylan Gabriel fans on any OU football podcast, I will, I will claim, I would never say he's a dual-threat quarterback, and I will still say that even after that 100-yard performance. He's not a dual-threat quarterback. He can just kind of move sometimes. He's better in the pocket. He's not a dual-threat quarterback. Texas needs to shut the fuck up because they're just they're in a state of delusion that I don't even think their fan base has tasted in a while it's it's really silly listening to them talk yeah i think you would consider you know dylan gabriel like a baker mayfield type athlete where he could scramble and pick up some yards but it's yes. not something that's the main function of, of his uh attack yes and with his size too i mean you know oh you clearly kept a lot of bullets in the in the gun for mm-hmm. for this game because you can't you you cannot run dylan gabriel a guy that's of his stature that way for an entire season and expect him to hold up. I mean, this was the kind of thing where you kind of, you said, you set him free for this game, but otherwise, you know, you got to kind of watch out for it. You know, how you manage that. Did, did Dylan, was he able to bait a, uh, a targeting or a personal foul 
on one of he his runs. He did get one. Yeah. From with the slide. Now yeah. I don't know. I, I won't say his name, but there is a a Texas strategist who used to talk about QB sliding versus diving head first. Is that they should be diving head first because it's safer or something. Uh, and then even then. The Texas QB dives head first, and guess what? He gets smashed and fumbles the football. <laughs> uh, he, it was just, he got hit by the chosen one, man. He did. Yeah, I know. Did, yeah, I know. Peyton Bone got low to make that hit. Yeah. I mean, that was yeah. just wild. Uh, it just came out of nowhere. But that is something, too. I, I want to ask you all this question because I, I, I listened to the, the Teddy and Gabe uh, um, and uh, the other guy. I do not like listening to the home any home call. Never try to listen to a Spurs home call if you can. It's dreadful. Uh, but it seemed like OU was. Did OU seem more into this game, or, or is that just like a narrative, like Homer side of it? Because everyone was like, "Man, OU's playing with their hair on fire," and Texas is kind of treating this like business. Like Texas played exactly how they are historically. They ex- they walked into the stadium expecting to win because they're Texas. And when things didn't go well, they just kind of stood there and thought, this isn't supposed to happen. Like they were very, they weren't shell shocked, but they kind of, there was a lot of body language, like on the long touchdown that they had at the end of the game uh, to tie it, the, their running back, the 29 yard touchdown. There's a shot of Jordan Winnington walking off the field with his head down with like this, with this look of, I don't really give a shit. And it's, to me, it was very indicative of just how Texas operates. They were just like, yeah, this is supposed to happen because we're just Texas, right? Yeah, we're it's Texas. And it was an ex- it's an extra amount this year because they beat te- Bama at Bama. I don't know like, if anyone knew that. Oh, we beat Bama. We're Texas. Why aren't yeah. you submitting to us right now? Oh, you kneel down no- before, kneel down before us, and we will call it good. Then Oklahoma's like, no. Fuck that. We're in a dogfight. Let's go. Yeah. OU was motivated for this game and they had every reason to be motivated just for you know every a lot of reasons. Texas just kind of played like, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We're the better team. It, it, they didn't play with the energy that I would have wanted them to play play with if I was a Texas fan. I, I didn't like it, but um, it, this wasn't a, a matter of, oh, you just wanted it more. It's like, no, nah, just shut up and say whatever you want to make yourself feel better, I guess. Yeah, the wanted it more thing is like fan stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, uh, like, are you, are you really? You're telling me that you can tell, like, just from you know, being, uh, you know, on TV, what you, you know, like when when people are like, oh, one team just wanted it more. Like, ah, I don't know about that. I mean, look, I thought that I thought that both these teams, you know. Uh, my take my takeaway from this game is both these teams were really good. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. Uh, I didn't I didn't come away from it feeling like one team gave it away or one team necessarily just snatched it away. I mean, I felt, I just felt like OU beat them. Like you know, they OU is a good team that beat a good team, and that's how it went down. Like I didn't see anything that made me think like, oh, you know, one team was really motivated here, or one team you know pulled out all the stops or anything like that. I mean. You know, because like I had all these visions before this game started of like, you know, then Brent Venable's throwing out some super exotic defense or going with like, you know, I, I mean, I mentioned like doing like a, an Iowa State type 3 3 3 look, mm-hmm. uh, maybe to try to, you know, keep Texas's, uh, keep the deep shots at bay. They really didn't do that. I mean, there was, there weren't a ton of exotics. It was basically, you know, 
the OU coaching staff relied on their defensive line to get pressure with four and, you know, played them pretty fairly straight up on the, on the back end. I mean, I didn't see anything that was like that. There wasn't any, any magical coaching job done by Brent Venables or anything like that. I just, you know, they just prepared well. Well, you had a good game plan and played well enough. Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge chair and continue listening to this episode scratch kitchen and cocktails great food drinks and atmosphere yeah i i was i had some uh insider access to a, a uh to maybe some defensive defensive structures i'll say that uh, i think you heading, and i might have had the same access <laughs> yeah uh heading into uh what was going on and i was very surprised i was like oh wow someone's going to be deep in their bag for this game to kind of shift some things around some different blitzes. And I just, and I thought to myself, wow, I'm, I'm guessing Deshaun McCullough is not going to play at all. Yeah, depending on the stuff I saw it was very dime heavy and things like that. And then I watch highlights and I see stuff and I was like, Oh, Oh, you just kind of played them. Like you said, straight up on defense. And I'm not trying to say they, Oh, you wasn't because Brent Venables is going to be a very, uh, you know, multiple, very exotic defense. But it did seem like from the things I have seen so far, and I'll, ha- I'll get a full watch through uh, tomorrow before a film review because I'll be doing the film review of the goal line stand for Wednesday, which you can check out and watch at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Uh, and then next Wednesday, I'll do one over the final drive um, to win the game. But it did seem like OU played them pretty straight up on the defensive side. And, and, and hearing you say that, Alan, do you think that's, uh, I guess I'll just basically ask you to answer the question you just answered, but do you think that was what went down was just Brent was able to call a pretty straight up game once he realized pressure was getting through there with four? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I think it's possible that maybe they were – you know, kind of trying to look at Texas, what Texas might do, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, or how they might need to adjust at some point with some of those, with some of those looks. But, um, I mean, the, the OU's defensive line just, I mean, they may, they gave, they gave the Texas offensive line the business, like from the jump. They did. And so, you know, when you're, when you're able to do that, it's kind of like, why, you know, if it ain't broke, you know, and especially the other, one other thing to consider too is like, Jadavian Jadavian Sanders was so hobbled that yes, like you know, you could probably get away with taking a coverage player, you know, or or or, you know, not needing an extra coverage player to to kind of worry about him or and and keep him contained. Um, so I mean, like I I think that you know that's just kind of how it how it ended up working out. But um, I mean, they didn't. I didn't feel like on defense they had to go do anything. I mean. You're right. Venables is always going to be exotic because that's just how he is. But they didn't do anything particularly extraordinary in this game, in my opinion. That's really interesting to hear and helpful to hear. Trying to you know trying to look at this moving forward. If again, I think everyone is is mentioning this again. 
it's just OU Texas and Arlington now. This everyone's like just fast forward six weeks until that happens again. Uh, if OU didn't have to go deep in their bag offensively or defensively, it's like you said, it's just two good teams punching each other. Uh, I think that potentially bodes well for Oklahoma. I'm an Oklahoma fan. Of course, I'd say that. Uh, but potentially bodes well for Oklahoma if they didn't have to go that extra step. Because I would argue, just like what Brady said multiple times, uh, that Texas played schematically like the more desperate team. And again, desperate may be doing a lot of work there, but you know, you're, you're doing the, a fake punt. You're going for it on fourth down uh, much more than Oklahoma did. Uh, uh, Oklahoma went for it in the fourth down, uh, was it in the fourth quarter? To basically yeah, try to did. seal the game, you know, at yeah. that point in time. But yeah, it, it never convert. felt like it was something that OU needed to do. Texas needed every one of those fourth down conversions. I mean, they were not getting it done on third down. Obviously, in the red zone struggles that they currently have before the game, that everyone kind of glossed over. And OU had been very, very good at stopping big explosive plays defensively. That OU was going to make Texas go into the red zone and then operate in the red zone. That continued across the line. And maybe it's fluky. You know, I mean, the, the pick that happened there with uh, uh, Bowman separating the ball. And all, I mean, but the goal line stand, maybe all that stuff can't be replicated. But what can be replicated is that Texas sucks in the red zone. That's them. You know, it's almost it, it's across the board. Whoever they play, they're not good in the red zone. And now we have to start looking at those data points. You know, we were looking at the Wyoming game, saying, "What does this mean?" Now it looks like Wyoming is actually good, good, like an actual good, good football team, which is you know kind of crazy to see. Uh, but Brady, you're talking about the historical side on, on your uh, uh, football uh, on on the Monday thoughts. What what is this from you from a historical side from OU fan to seeing a year two coach? Come in here and beat Texas, six and zero. You're reversing these trends all of a sudden again. You you know you took the licking on the first game, and now you're coming through here six and zero for the first time in a while. And OU is, I mean, one game at a time. But I'm not going to say I'm not I'm not getting big eyes myself thinking about the end of the season. But historically, what what are your thoughts on Brent flipping the script so very quickly uh, after Texas now? Yeah, it's. Um... I mean, you can look at any game, you can look at any period of games um, and build a narrative. Um, the, the best way to look at something like a series historically is do you have to look at the entire thing and then you have to like really pinpoint some turning points here and there um, because each team is going to go on a run. Um, one team is going to have a bad few years. They're going to have a bad decade. One Another team's going to have a really bad recruiting class that sets them back. Um, and, you know, a, one of the schools might have a coach just up and leave them because he realizes his uh, honeymoon period is over and to elongate his shitty career, he goes somewhere else to just continue doing what he was doing. And, and that, to me, made this game so pivotal and not just for this season and not just for like playoff chances or whatever. Um, OU needs to beat UCF. Um, the The thought that... Oh, they're just going to see each other in Arlington. I'm just, I'm here to tell you, Texas fans, if you want to listen to this, Texas, y'all have only gone undefeated after the OU game, I think, four times since 2000, 2001, 2004, 2005, and 2009. It is not a foregone conclusion that you, especially with the mentality of, we played like ass. Nothing we did was because OU just kicked our ass. It was just because we didn't play well. 
with that mentality, have fun losing to some bullshit school in this conference. I, I guarantee that will happen. And the inverse is the same for OU. Uh, we prove something. We prove that we are not six and seven anymore. We prove that we are not the bad program that people wish casted um, Brent Venables would lead um, um, coming out of last year. We prove that we haven't won shit yet. So we got the golden hat back. That's cool, but we haven't won anything yet. So keep continuing to go one and oh each week. But this game, because of the window of opportunity that cannot be replicated, Lincoln Riley leaving and then bringing Caleb Williams with him, um, Texas already going through a coaching change a year prior with Steve Sarkeesian and then having some like having an identity. They never really had an identity under Herman. They never really had one under Charlie Strong, and they definitely didn't have one in late stage Mac Brown um, after Colt McCoy left. They they have an identity with Steve Sarkeesian. They have a path to kind of follow. And then OU goes through the Lincoln Riley thing. And then Texas takes care of business in year one against Brent Venables and kicks OU's ass 49 nothing. Good for them. This game was so important because it would have just reiterated that 49 to nothing victory for Texas that, yeah, Texas is definitely better and they're probably a year or so ahead of them. And now the next season, both of these schools are going to go into the SEC. And not only is OU trying to punch up to try to adapt to the SEC, they're still having to adapt to their arch rival, Texas, if they were to lose this um, edition of the Red River rivalry. So I saw this game as incredibly pivotal. I still thought Texas was going to win. I predicted them to win. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I didn't. Um, I was not looking forward to it, and it was for that reason, because I thought this potential loss could be damning. Brent Venables could be a good head coach for OU, but losing to Texas two years in a row, even with the caveats, that's going to be hard. You're gonna, It's going to be hard to sell the vision that you're trying to sell on the recruiting trail. It's going to be hard to keep the team engaged when you have got them to buy into the culture, and then you play five nobodies, and the first team with the pulse you play, you lose to them. You might lose some guys on the roster if that happens. There's the potential for that. So this game was incredibly pivotal for that reason, and then you know, just from a historical standpoint, OU has owned Texas since 2000, not to the tune that we would want them to own them. Like OU is now 17 and nine against them. And I'm sure every OU fan is thinking about well, 2015, 2013, 2018. So many missed opportunities to make that record better for OU. Um, Texas had the chance to kind of start reversing that trend since 2000 and just say the Bob Stoops era is done. Lincoln Riley just basically continued it. That is over. This is the dawn of a new age for Texas. And OU and Team 129 said, fuck all that. Uh-uh. We're still, we're still on top in this series. And cling on to that 63 to 51 and 5 series record all you want. Cause in our lifetimes, that thing's gonna end too. The Spirit Shop has been Norman's source for wine, beer, and spirits since 1976. We feature the biggest selection and best prices in town. Thousands of different wines, beers, spirits, and more. Live in Norman? We deliver all over town, every day, usually in under an hour. Let us bring the party to you. Go to our website and order online at www.thespiritshop.org or give us a call at 
405-321-3100. That's 405-321-3100. In from out of town for the game, come see us at the corner of Main and Barry, just two miles east of I-35. Take the Main Street exit and browse thousands of fine wines and hard-to-find bourbon in store. That was, I love it. That was beautifully said. I, I, I love said it. That, man, <laughs> that got me going. He's on, uh, he's on the podium. Say, he's on the soapbox. I do. Need, I do need to check this. one thing though, because I, I did they go undefeated after OU in two thousand? I don't want to be incorrect. I don't believe so. I don't think so either. I'm not going to count the. I'm not going to count on. the bowl game. I'm just talking. Oh no, about... no, no, no! They did. They did. They actually okay. they did go undefeated. They lost, but they lost to Oregon in the Holiday Bowl. Well, do you them. feel? Yeah. Do you feel like it's uh it's important to note out too that just specifically last year, Texas won exactly two more games than OU did. In OU's worst season since yes. the nineties, yeah, exactly true. two more games. They went eight and five, and that's that's, true. that's a part of this kind of sarcastic conversation we started the show off with, with how Texas fans, the media that primarily covers Texas, they just have this idea that they did not play well. I agree with Alan. These were two good teams. I don't think Texas is all bad at all. Like no. I still think that mm-hmm. they are a good football team. And if OU is fortunate enough to run the table, and if Texas is fortunate enough to run the table. I will be confident. I'll be more confident going into that Big 12 championship than I was going into this Red River rivalry. But I will still have in my mind, like, Shh, this is going to be hard, man. I've seen OU beat two. I, I've seen OU beat a really good team twice in the same year before. But that even even that was difficult in 2000 when they beat Kansas State. Like yeah. it, that would be very that would be a very difficult task for OU to beat Texas again. And I'd still but, make I'd still make Texas a favorite tomorrow if yeah. they played. In all honesty, me too. Tomorrow I would. Me too. You know. Me too. But this idea that they did not play well is completely disrespectful to what the performance OU put on. OU made them make mistakes. OU made them fail. And this this idea that, oh, like Quinn Ewers just didn't play well. Look, we all said these same things after they beat us 49 to nothing. Man, like Texas is better. Oh, you didn't have Dylan Gabriel. That wouldn't have really mattered in the win-loss column. But, I mean, shit, did, Quinn Ewers missed a handful of throws. Like, if I'm a Texas fan, I'm thinking this should have been 77 to nothing, not 49 nothing. Quinn Ewers missed all these throws. Then as the season went along, it was like, he never really took another step. It was feast or famine, big play or just kind of meh. And Sarkeesian is a good enough OC. He's going to be able to scheme up leak routes and stuff like that and RPO stuff to pad his stats. Overall, I just had this idea that he's the highest end ceiling quarterback they've had in a long time, but I don't think he's an all-world Heisman contender by any means. And then what we saw on Saturday was exactly that. He threw a pick when he stared down a guy and Gentry Williams jumped the route. He threw another pick that wasn't technically his fault. Sanders tipped it up. Billy Bowman hit the shit out of him and it got tipped and intercepted. And then Quinn Ewers fumbled at midfield. He played exactly like we have thought he performs going back to last year. He's not really made a leap. So don't say that Texas didn't play, a, a, or that they didn't play well. They played exactly to their standard. That is exactly how Quinn Ewers plays. It's it's incredible to me. Like they, they they didn't do anything out of the ordinary. They performed accordingly. You mentioned uh, th- to I'm I'm sorry, just real yeah. real quick. Uh, you mentioned to the the media that you know covers Texas and just how like obviously the fans do for sure. They think their Texas is the elite of the elite for sure. 
uh, this that brought me back. That reminded me of uh, Jerry Ramsey and Dylan Buckingham had a guy named Terry Middleton on, uh, who covers Texas, who predicted Texas to be Alabama earlier in the year on their show with Jerry and Dylan, and uh, they had him on this year, you know, to say. And uh, at the very end, Jerry asked him, you know, about the SEC readiness of both Texas and OU. Just you know, one of those. Typical questions like, hey, how excited is the fan base? And then what do you personally think of you know, OU and Texas moving in to the SEC? And this dude goes, yeah, you know, I think Texas is set up better um, than OU is currently at the moment. He goes, but I, I do think Brent uh, Venables will have OU, you know, uh, on the right track. But maybe at the moment, they're not going to be on the same level as Georgia, Alabama, and Texas. He grouped those three schools together. I was like, I, I almost texted Jerry and was like, please ask this dude if OU should even show up on Saturday. <laughs> that's almost that's almost as bad as the FSU um play by play guy that came on with uh, Sam Kara and Cole. That dude Hoover. was that dude was on a Gene uh Deckerhoff or Defferhoff, something uh, like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, covered that. Florida State. Basically just went on like a 15 minute stroking fest of Florida State and Jameis Winston and how they're the best team to ever touch the the football field. Yeah, I but mean, nonetheless, yeah. Terry Middleton, I I hope you had uh, kind of a shitty day. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, like, and it, but like, let's let's be fair here too. I mean, it wasn't just Texas media. Also, I mean, nationally, yes. I mean, guys like Joel Klatt and, um, yeah, they should know. be scared. Oh, Joel you should Klatt. be nervous. Yeah, they should be nervous. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, lots of, I mean, like uh, split zone duo. I was listening to their show and like. Alex Kirshner brought up, he's like, I, I think OU is a really good team. Like, I think that this is going to be, a, you know, and I mean, uh, Stephen Godfrey, who we've had on, on the show before, Richard Johnson, both guys I like a lot, you know, we're just like, oh, are you kidding? Like, I think this is going to be a bloodbath type thing, you know? I mean, um, like, I don't, I, I just don't know how, I mean, I think it's, it's, it, it starts to feel at times like these the media just wants Texas to be good so badly. I don't, you know, and, and it just, it, it's, it's boggles my mind. I, I know it's, it's not Brady's favorite podcast, but it, I think it's more than one of the more entertaining ones from an entertainment standpoint, uh, purely, but the solid verbal idea of Texas football, it's a great college football program in theory. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> I've always kind of thought that, because you know, every fan base thinks the media is out to get their program. Um, OU fans are not, you know, like OU fans are just kind of the same in that regard. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think that it has merit in that OU is often very good. So they're, they're right there to be discussed by the media, but they often just get overlooked unless they force the issue like they have on Saturday by beating Texas. Now they're fifth in the country and have a path to the college football playoffs. So now they got to get talked about, I guess. Um, but I do think that the national media would rather a USC be good or they would rather a Texas be good. Cause it just makes more sense in their minds that yeah, LA Southern California, who would want to like, they've got a million people and they've got a great, a lot of great football players. They should be good. Texas, Texas football. That's a, that's a, it's an icon in and of itself. That should yeah, make it's sense. a brand. Yeah. Why, why is Oklahoma good? Probably because they cheat, you know, I'll screw them. Yeah. I don't want to go to Norman, Oklahoma. Ugh. You know, so like all the SEC schools. Well, that makes sense because all the NFL players come from the South, Ohio State, Michigan. There's a billion people in Ohio. Like, it's it, it's as simple as that. 
Some people would just rather Texas be good, and that's fine. Quite frankly, I hope Texas players and the media, Texas media and the national media, just keep saying that they didn't play well. I will eat it like a fucking chocolate Pop-Tart. It's yummy. It's delicious. I want it in my belly. Please keep saying that because if OU and Texas play each other, they're just serving Brent Venables. Like he doesn't even have to say, yeah. that. hey, guys, we beat their ass on the field. And guess what? No one believed it that, w- that it was legitimate. Didn't happen. My yeah. my lion no eyes. <laughs> uh, you know the show. Our show notes said we're going to talk about week six games, but we're going to skip that and talk about the national media's flip. Because it seems like a perfect segue. National media's flip on OU after the win. Now, a lot of stuff was leading into this game. Now, again, all four of us picked Texas to win, so <laughs> I'm not going to sit there and 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 say I was on where any of us were like you know into the breach once more type of thing. But a lot of advanced stats had OU as the better team, you know, opponent adjusted stuff. Oh, he was like, you know, top 10 scoring, top 10 defense and opponent adjusted, yada, yada, yada. But the thing was, and as Alan wrote on his, uh, uh smatter of thoughts, uh, Oh, you had played a bunch of tomato cans, you know, at that point in time. Uh, so what do those stats really mean? It's either you believe them or you don't at that point in time. You know, you know, if, if you say they're opponent adjusted and that means they should have, or you have the stuff where it's like, Oh, is now the number one scoring offense our number one point differential of a team of an average top 25 team playing against the schedule they played or something like that. It's a K Ford set that that's been put out. Uh, so like everything kind of shows, Hey, this OU team's actually very good. We just can't figure it out because their wide receiver isn't like a number one overall pick, you know, it's, it's a, it didn't seem to make sense. It's just like a collectively good OU football team. I mean, and I, I want to ring the bell and please, I, we need to do like a, a swear jar for this. It does remind me of the 2000 team from that perspective. It doesn't have like, whoa, look at that one guy who's just amazing. It's just a collective group of people performing what they're supposed to do on the football field. You could say Danny Stutzman has now stepped into that superstar role to a degree, but that's about it. Uh, You know, you've got some guys who will be, Peyton Bowen, like will be, you know, something like that. Uh, But it does seem kind of a bunch of no-names. Dylan Gabriel's getting all of his flowers right now, so to speak, but it does seem kind of an, a, a team of ragtag team that's all pulling together at that point of it. But now OU beats Texas, and now it's 12 in Oklahoma. Look out playoffs, number one team. Here we go. It's You need to be discussing these playoff chances, Oklahoma. And all this all this information was there before that game. The, you know, If you're going to look at it purely from a data point, that game's just worth one data point. OU beat one team. <laughs> with everything before that did say Oklahoma was a good team before Texas and they would have been a good team after Texas, even if they lost. Uh, is any of that surprising to you, Alan, to see just that much of that flip? Because I mean, OU was ranked number 12 walking into this, even though most advanced stats said they should have probably been closer to a top five team before Texas. And now they are at this point in time, I believe AP at least. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, it really was You're right. Like every analytics person that I listened to last week was like, I mean, this Oklahoma team is very good. Like everybody's kind of, it, it's strange that no one's talking about them. Uh, and I think that they were just kind of looking back at last year and it's true. OU had played a, uh, you know, a very weak schedule coming into this game. You know, the, the thing that I think went overlooked is it wasn't just like, you know, you can say like, Oh, he's running up the score, blah, 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 whatever. That wasn't it. Like this team was playing really, really well. Like, they played well against Texas on Saturday, and that's a indicative of 
you know, I mean, look, we've seen Oklahoma teams that have just better players and better talent and they roll out there and they'll mess around and, you know, end up winning by, you know, a couple touchdowns, what have you. And you think, okay, well, I mean, they're just better. They didn't play particularly well, but that's how it is. I, I felt differently this season, you know, about the way OU was performing. I mean, they were mm-hmm. sharp. Um, and so like, that was the part of it where, I feel like that should have probably that shouldn't have that shouldn't have gone unnoticed, you know. Um I'm I'm not surprised that there's been this flip though, because you kind of have to, I mean, I think in your in your mind you have to um look at it and say, Well, I mean, you know, we all thought Texas was good because Texas beat Alabama. We all thought Alabama was good. That's why we thought Texas was good. You know, it's yeah. it, it turns into a house of cards at some point. But I mean I don't know. It was a pretty resounding win. Everybody was watching it. It was a the team. Both the teams looked really strong uh, out there. I mean, I think that you're right though in terms of like OU had is kind of a no name team. There just aren't a lot of stars. I mean, when when your most visible player is probably Dylan Gabriel, you know. I mean, that's that kind of speaks to um, the anonymity of the team in general. But I mean, they're playing so well at this point. Y- y'all remember the last time OU had a left-handed quarterback <laughs> and and didn't have a running game? Uh-oh. <laughs> the, uh, he, Brent was asked about that on the – I think it was his coach's show a couple weeks ago. Yes, yep. And, uh, yeah, he basically said the exact same thing. He was like, you know, in 2000 we called ourselves a bunch of misfits, and he was like – he was like, it kind of fits to this team as well. It was like we were just the, the misfits. I think he brought that up again because uh, I saw that talking point on Twitter and stuff after the game, or, or maybe it's before the game or, or, or earlier this week, talking about the difference between year one and year two. And he made that comparison again, saying, yeah, it's just like 99 to 2000, just the amount of difference we have from this team's talent level, you know, skill level, you know, dedication, you know, buy-in, so on and so forth. And, you know, the, I have some OU fans who were very down on Brent Venables and down on the whole idea of culture this, culture that. Cult, you know, it's like, I don't care about the culture. I want wins. And now they've completely flipped their tune. They're like, that was right. You got it. The culture is set in. Guys are pulling weight. Everyone's there. You know, when you have your your third string linebacker coming in and, and key important, you know, goal line stands and making plays, it's everyone, every one of these guys seems to have the the thought and so far have performed as in the moment I'm called up, I'm walking in there and I'm making a play. It's, it's, it's wild to, to see that happen across the board. Even the, like the really good teams generally, you know, you get your second string corner. Like, I mean, OU was down to, this is the kind of stuff like, yeah, having not having Watts out there does suck for Texas. Obviously I'm not going to say that that didn't impact some of Dylan Gabriel's passing stats, but whatever, but OU's having to play Key Lawrence to end the game at mm-hmm. corner. I mean, like, yeah. d- don't talk to me about guys getting hurt and all this type of stuff. I mean, OU had to deal with it in the game. Majors going down, obviously, for Texas did potentially change some of the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, geography or, or whatever we're trying to say, uh, the math for uh, Texas in the offensive line. But they were getting pushed around and getting, getting pressure before he went down. I mean, it, it, the difference was OU got pressure, Texas did and when Texas did get pressure, Dylan Gabriel just got out of it. And that that, that was something, you know, he, he was able to work his way through that. It was very, I'll, I'll say it again, I mentioned earlier, that game for Dylan Gabriel was very Baker Mayfield uh, without 
you know, his, his oversized personality. Yeah. No, no, no. That, that was the stuff of legends. I mean, that, that was the absolute stuff of legends where, where I will resign to Texas fans or media saying like, Oh, you played outside of their minds. Like Dylan played outside of his mind in that I've never seen him more less panicky than how he conducted himself on the field. Now, having said that there was a good portion of the game where like basically after their, I mean, essentially after the second interception where he was missing throws, he was not really seeing the field very well. And he was still moving in the pocket. He was still picking up some yards here and there, but there were still a lot of meat left on the table with his um, quarterbacking um, the offense and him. And he woke up towards the end of the half and they were able to get that field goal to put them ab- um, ahead at the end of the half. But overall as like a football player is like a gutsy tough. Like, I don't care how I've played, mm-hmm. um, before this, I don't care. The offense has stalled the entire second half, except for their first drive out of halftime. Um, I'm going to go out there and and get the job done. Like from a football playing standpoint, yes, but no, I've seen better passing from Dylan Gabriel. That was by no means his. I don't. I really know how to characterize this. His most consistent performance, but it was just. It's going to be a game that everybody remembers for the rest of their lives, and they're not going to care about his completion percentage. No one's going to care about um, Quinn Ewers throwing 18 consecutive completions in that game, except for Texas fans and media that want to try to prove a point. So, it, no, it, it's it was incredible. But um, now it's just kind of um, inherent on the team and Dylan Gabriel to. Um, you can't repeat that performance because every game and every opponent's going to throw something different at you and you've got to adjust to that. But you've shown us what you're capable of. Now go replicate the overall production and go replicate the result of that. Now, what I, what I want to think is from the national media's flip on OU is is how how long do we think this win lasts? So like OU now plays six teams which are ranging from an average college football team to a bad college football team to end out the season. Uh, I, I think they've got Tech and TCU should be the toughest uh, test at that point in time. Uh, we don't play moving tech. forward. Don't we don't play, play tech. tech. Oh wow! Uh, sorry. Uh, got UCF at Kansas at OSU, uh, West Virginia, Norman, BYU, uh, and TCU. Provo, and then TCU on Friday. Yeah. So uh, you've got TCU. You've got the weird. BYU game, which I think Brady had has circled that game as a loss for like five years ago. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you got TCU, BYU, and then maybe Kansas offense if the quarterback's back, but their defense is dreadful. I mean, you're, you're not going to be able to continue to test yourself, right? Like Michigan right now is, what, what are they, like number two or three uh, uh, in AP? They haven't played anybody <laughs> at any point in time. Anyone who's like could test them, they will not play anybody. They only have two games on their schedule in which they will play somebody, Penn State and, and, and uh, uh, Ohio State. At that point in time, they will then have proven themselves to be a legit, legitimate contender. That's me casting dispersions. I do believe Michigan is probably the team, but we'll figure it out once they play those two teams. Oklahoma got no such luck, obviously, because obviously they're six and seven, so on and so forth. But do you think OU continuing to play these teams, and let's say they keep winning like they won at SMU and, and, and won against Cincinnati, do you think they start drifting back down, or does this Texas win keep them kind of like hard-capped into the top five regardless? Real quick, I do want to mention because, I mean, Matt and I kind of talked about it on the no-cap recap mm-hmm. on Patreon. 
Um, because at the time we didn't know, and I don't think I don't think we've mentioned it on this show, but Andrew Anthony, every OU fan I'm sure yes, that yeah. listens to podcast knows, is out for the season, and that's that's a big loss. And um, not only does this team need to continue to like adhere to the rallying cry that it's OU against the world and whatever brand, like go one and know each week. Not only do they need to do that, they now need to find um, another guy in that wide receiver room to step up because I mean, that group has done nothing but step up all year. So I'm going to err on the side of against all this competition we have in front of us. They'll be able to find a guy, but still Andrew Anthony was really good this year and it's a fucking bummer that he's out. So that's going to be important for OU moving forward. But I mean, to Peyton, to your grander question, I mean, someone else jump in. I just realized we hadn't mentioned it. I mean, the way this schedule goes, I mean, if OU wants to look, OU's not going to fall, in my opinion, in the eyes of anyone. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, at this point, but I would advise OU to keep the uh, foot on the gas. Um, it's going to be very important to not only win all these games, but to look dominant doing so. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, that's just how it's going to be, but that's from here into eternity, right? That is college football. Always. You always, it is about kicking ass. It is about, you know, uh, dominance always will be. And uh, this year, especially for OU is going to be the case because there's not going to be, there just won't be, a lot of big wins to really hang your hat on. It's going to have to be, you know, one potentially a second second uh, win over Texas. You know, at the end of the day, if they can get there, and you know, then also saying, and everybody else, we blitz through. Yeah, and I do want to think maybe we're looking at this from a different perspective. Obviously, obviously, because we're just reacting the the coaches poll and AP poll, which are obviously two useless systems of, of measuring teams because they don't matter. Uh, the, the ESPN playoff committee is, is the one that matters. And they use things like game control. You know, they, they you know, quote unquote, they do or they don't. I can't remember. It's, it seems, uh, you know, case to case, you know, strength of resume, strength of schedule. And I, I remember seeing uh, online that like, oh, of the unbeatens, OU has like the strongest strength of schedule currently, you know, stuff like that, where it's like, OU doesn't maybe the AP and coaches are missing a judgment of OU that ESPN committee and the, and the, the analytics they use may have a better, brighter shine on, I, I guess, from, from this perspective. I would have to look at that. Maybe I need to subscribe to uh, uh, Dave Bartu real quickly to see what his uh, rankings say uh, as, he, as he's pretty much guessed those playoff predictions on the nose every single year. Uh, but I want to say, because I was thinking about that too, if OU is like, what, 8-0? And the first playoff comes out, first playoff things come out. It would be hard to say OU's not like two, you know, something like that. Um, depending on how those records, I can't remember who Georgia plays before then and stuff like that uh, to kind of get that stuff figured and out. Kansas could be top twenty if they beat OSU and Stillwater next week. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, or yeah, obviously OU needs to beat UCF, but in the event that that occurs, then that'll be at least another ranked opponent that OU can put on their resume. And then. Uh, Let's switch over to our our expectations. For, not known just how the national media is flipping on it, but now we have a chance to flip on OU a little bit. I mean, what are our expectations now for this 2023 season? You know, Brady uh, foolhardily had already said six and sevens in the background. I will say six and seven still technically on the table. True, <laughs> uh, true. that would suck, but still they are more eligible way earlier are, this season than they yes. were last season. I will say. 
Yeah. They, they should do a video the- about getting the t-shirts this year. <laughs> <laughs> What's the cheese it bowl called this year? Punch your tickets for it. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, the, the expectation is, I, look, I mean, to the kind of the past question, the question you asked before kind of merging into this one, um, well, the media flip on OU, we were all cautious on this podcast mm-hmm. about OU. We recognized the strength, strength of schedule going in against Texas. We recognized that Texas really proved it. Um, albeit, yes, against a play. Al- if you're going to play Alabama, play them in that moment. Play them in that moment in time. But that to Texas's advantage, they did so, and they looked really good doing so. So they get the credit for that. Um, but I think now the easiest way that you do that or that you kind of talk about OU is – any good things you thought about OU prior to the Texas game that you were like, eh, I don't know. I, I don't know because they played Cincinnati and all these other teams. I'm going to hold on to that and see what I see in the Red River rivalry. Now that they won, you have to apply it all. You just apply everything that you saw. So that that great um, linebacking performance against you know whomever OU played early in the year that you liked, that wasn't just because they played a bad team. Apply it. No, they've got a good linebacking core. The awesome wide receiver performance you saw against Iowa State or, or whatever, it wasn't just because they were playing Iowa State. It's because they're good. So they proved it. So OU just has to continue to prove it every single week. So, I mean, my expectations, it's really hard to answer because I'm still kind of in shock that we won because I was so sure that, we're, we just don't have it this year, guys. I said that on the preseason pod um, about all of our predictions. I, I said, oh, you Texas in the Big 12 championship. And I called for Texas to beat us twice because I just did not think that we were exactly there yet. And there's a part of me that still feels that way. But if I would have been this age in 2000, I wonder if I would have felt that way up until the Texas game. And I might have still felt that way. Well, that was fun. But, I mean, Manhattan, Kansas State, that's going to be different. Well, that was fun. Nebraska has owned us for a decade. I I just don't know, guys. I'm the history nerd, and all I know is history, so I don't I don't know about Nebraska. And so even then, it would have been really interesting to just kind of, like, think what my expectation would have been after Nebraska. But um, OU's got a path. I did not expect them to have a path to the playoff coming into this season. So I think that's really exciting. And... I think for the team, um, Brent just needs to keep hammering home what he's been hammering home to this team since the season ended last year. Um, like I said earlier, like you guys prove that you're not really bad anymore, but you haven't won anything. Like the things to be won are at the end of the tunnel. Not you've not accomplished anything. But I think I was listening to um, All Sooners with Ryan uh, Chapman and John Hoover, and uh, I think they were saying that on the field, the player like when they were celebrating with the golden hat a lot of the players are just like, just one game, guys. So they at least have the right mentality to go out and prove that what we saw against Texas was not just OU playing an awesome, amazing, super cool game, and Texas just really sucked on accident. They're going to go out there and prove it. So um, I just I hope the bye week is good for them, and then we'll talk about UCF next week. Yeah, you, you did mention how like we're all uh, uh, cautious of Oklahoma coming into the season. Uh Three of three of three of us picked OU to go ten and two. I picked eleven and one, and I picked them to go to the playoffs. So I don't think we're too cautious <laughs> about Oklahoma walking into the season. I think we're all we all put some stuff on there. Uh, again, I had the OU as eleven and one if they're only lost to Texas and then winning the Big Twelve against not Texas. Uh, but 
I mean, for real, I mean, my expectation is now, I mean, 12 and 0 is, is the reality uh, of this team. Now, can they do it? Can, is it there? Uh, I believe, uh, you know, I have K Ford on, um, Kelly Ford, uh, on Friday to talk about that and talk about, I think it's a 45% chance of going defeated and go to the playoffs. Uh, it's the, it leads all teams with their percentages to, to, to go to the playoff at this point in time. Uh, if OU goes undefeated, my expect, I mean, it's weird to say because you, then you walk into Texas more than likely and there's a puncher's chance of who wins. Uh, but my now expectations is is playoff. Uh, at, at this point in time, anything less is going to feel uh, like a disappointment as a fan. I mean, I, you know, as a fan, because you're like, oh, dang, we're so close at, at that point in time. Um, I mean, Alan, do you think that's, am I being too foolhardy there at that point in time? Now seeing the results on the field halfway through the season, we're hitting the bye week. Getting hopefully getting healthy uh, and walking into the back half of this honestly putrid schedule. Hey, well, like you know, um, having seen this before, I mean, huh? we can go back to say uh, 2011. OU came out and went and actually just dominated Texas. Looked great, uh, you know. I mean, a lot of people had picked them before the season to end up winning the national championship, and that team just fell apart. A lot of bad chemistry issues. Um, you know, uh, you know, and just some just unfortunate breaks and bounces at times, you know, with that with that team. So, like, the, it can still go downhill. Um, you know, uh, I guess my expectation, I mean, you know, I think it would be a disappointment if we use not playing at least for the uh, Big 12 title at the uh, in, in December. Um, but yeah, I mean. I don't know. Weird stuff happens in college football, man. And it's not like the OU team doesn't have some Achilles heels. Yeah. I mean, the the thing that at this point honestly worries me a lot is special teams. Um, punting yeah. game has been just really, really poor. And I mean, the, these aren't, you can't just say, okay, well, we're going to, you know, work on a different combination of guys on the line, or we're going to dump this from the playbook and put this in instead. Um, you know, I mean, this is punting and this is field goal kicking. <laughs> and these are kind of like pass fail type things, you know? So uh, I, I don't have a, a ton of faith in in that part of the game. And I, I worry if OU does get close and so, at some point it could, it could end up biting them. But, you know, I mean, at more than, more than one game, I, I I'm not sure, but you know, I mean, I I think that I still think that uh, that this team will end up being you know playing there in Jerry World in December, and I mean at this point I'm ex- I I think they're going to play Texas in what will be a very very difficult game. Yeah, I mean that that's the stuff too. And I do want to say because we're just this is I'm like it's a scattershot show. I apologize to the listeners. I hope it's it's entertaining. Uh, but the, to me, one of the funnier things to come out of this is the uh, the Kanek and De- and and Danny. Um, uh, you know, troll on 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 all media outlets. It's it's it was very very great, and I got into a nice little argument. Uh, not even just an argument. I can't believe you replied, Barrett Sally. Uh, <laughs> uh, replied back to me if I call him a fucking idiot, <laughs> uh, and he's like, "Explain to me why I'm an idiot." I'm like, "Cause you're a fucking idiot." Like, come on, like do. Uh, and then it's all just fake tattoos. The all they're all fucking idiots. It's just f- fucking wild. I mean, completely wild so to many, me. So many feelings were hurt from like the <sighs> three o'clock central time on Saturday till, I mean, even to right now, as we're recording feelings are hurt and we need to be more respectful to our uh, neighbors to the South. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe Marcus major can punt. He's got to get into a rhythm. 
get him 50 punts, he'll get there. <laughs> Tawi Ta- oh, Walker, I'm just looking at stats. Not only does he edge Marcus Major in yards Ooh, per hey carry, hey, <laughs> four and a half per carry to 3.8 for Marcus Major. But, you know, you often hear like, well, Marcus Major is good out of the backfield, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I agree. If you're going to use Marcus Major out of the backfield, um, Marcus Major, 10 catches, 66 yards for a 6.6 average and a touchdown. Tommy Walker, seven catches for 66 yards as well. 9.4 average. Tawi needs to get the ball. And I would imagine that with this schedule that is very, very on paper, appears to be very easy to navigate, um, a Having a running back like Tawi Walker could be a uh, could be a little luxury blanket for this offense um, against defenses that will not be as physically talented as Texas was. So I hope that we finally get to see a little bit more Tawi Walker, and we've been calling for that for weeks. Um, but I hope that that's the case. But I, I will. I'm glad Alan brought it up with, with the uh, special teams because this is with the Texas game. That's two games where the special teams have put OU in a hole that typically good like good teams or even you know average to good teams can lose. Cincinnati, mm-hmm. like we we were behind the eight ball and field position until halftime, and yet the defense performed very well. Did kept Cincinnati out of the end zone, and we were able to win. And then you get a blocked punt for a touchdown. You miss a field goal. You give up a, a fake punt for a first down. All those things the lateral on the reverse on the kickoff return. So many special teams miscues and OU still won. So um, I guess maybe that's what they're talking about when OU was just lucky. With the punting thing, can can Luke Elzinga just not kick it like over 30 yards or something? Everyone's like, oh, well, Plaster is the guy that if you want to kick it far, he's the guy with the big leg. Like, And it's like, oh, well, Elzinga's the coffin corner guy, pin him deep, all that stuff. Why not just throw Elzinga out there? Plaster, Plaster is just not getting it done <laughs> at all. And Elzinga had a good punt. It was to pin him deep. That was good. But acting like Luke Elzinga can only kick it like 20 yards or something like that, uh, give him a shot I at all times. I, I don't know why we're making this like very, very complicated. I mean, OU's got to have some guy who's got like the seventh year of eligibility left they can call up who's like getting his doctorate or something. I mean, just pull, you know, pull the Clemson, get the guy out there. <laughs> something has got some somebody from the soccer team like just figure it out at that point in time uh i do want to talk a little bit about week six games uh alan uh you wanted to discuss uh the ksu you know choke job upset will howard deciding to play the worst game uh of the season for them so far costing uh ksu the game still very much so on pace to go the what I think we all kind of picked them for in between seven and five and nine and three. Uh, so uh, maybe not in three, eight and four, seven and five, something like that. Still very much on pace. Just a game you would expect Kansas State to win at this point in time. Uh, but is this Gundy getting off the mat a little bit, or is this just weird wonky stuff for uh, uh, two teams that don't have maybe the talent to uh, overcome uh, a bad performance? And maybe uh, so I don't have to move out, Alan. Is my okay Oklahoma State over six ticket? Is it going to cash? She's got new life, baby. We got new life. Let's go, go, hey, folks. I'm right there. I'm right there with you, man. No, this is funny. Uh, I, I, this game, this game was very lucrative for me. Uh, so, so I, you know, uh, um, got but, the new tracksuit uh, on. Mean, this just had, yeah, exactly right. No, this is a. Uh, 
this is one this had gundy mike gundy special written it all over uh like for me in terms of uh, to the good to the good side they had they had, had a week off he finally picked one quarterback to play <laughs> instead of the the uh, triumvirate there um i don't know if this you know you know, uh, bodes well for OSU or Port. I, I think. I think one thing about Kansas State. I think Will Howard is is not right. I think he's hurt. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I know that he's. You know, his availability has been kind of doubtful uh, past few weeks, but that'll be a problem for them going forward. I think, and uh, you know, their their injuries have you know kind of hit them on the uh, other side of the ball too. Um, so I, I'm not sure about I, – I, I kind of see Kansas State trending down the rest of the way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and like I'm telling you guys, uh, that last game there, pardon me, the, the last bedlam for a while there in Stillwater, man, like whew, that's the kind of thing. And then weird stuff could happen, like I was talking about. Weird stuff could happen. So just keep an eye out. I would lose my fucking mind. I'm sorry, Phil, and the neighbors, <laughs> the preacher, man, who's, who's a patron for having to hear me curse in such a way after you thought I was probably a very up, uh, up, upstanding citizen. That would lose my fucking mind <laughs> if OSU you know, loses I, to Mike Gunthe walking out this conference. I was trying to not remember that you mentioned that a uh, a man a man of faith listens to this podcast because then it may subscribe to Patreon. He came to me the next morning saying, I read Alan's stuff. I was like, well, you must pay for it then. <laughs> That makes me feel extra bad, and I apologize, but just got to be my genuine crazy OU fan self. Now, Bedlam's going to be um, – I, I, I'll just go ahead and get this out of the way. I'm going to be nervous every week now because the expectations yeah. are there. So uh, if you were annoyed with me picking Iowa State to beat us and Texas to beat us – Great for engagement, though. I'm not looking for attention at all. <laughs> I'm just a nervous OU fan, and I've just – I don't know. I just, I, I just, I think of every scenario of how we will fail. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm going to come on here and say that UCF's going to beat us, Kansas is going to beat us, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying that, like, oh, maybe that's the good luck charm. No, because as soon as you acknowledge it, well, then it will reverse on you. Um, no, but the expectations are there, and whew, didn't expect them this year. I'm telling you, the 2000 season was. I mean, it was painful. Like I know it's the shouldn't sound that way, but like every week in my head, watching oh you go through that and coming up with figuring out like oh gosh man, College Station. I mean Texas A&M, they're gonna be. I was gonna. I was gonna say if you were, if podcast existed back then, Alan, and you had been podcasting, what what would the uh, thought going into the A and M game had been like for that Tuesday pod? What would you have said? I mean. Every every week talking to my buddies, I was like, "Oh, this is the week it ends, man! <laughs> like it's been so much fun, but this is the week it ends." I mean, if you go back and look at that season, I mean, down the stretch, they they had like, I mean, Oklahoma State was terrible. They won twelve to seven. Uh, Texas Tech wasn't particularly good. Twenty seven thirteen. That the Big Twelve Championship game when they had Kansas State. I mean, oh. that Kansas State team was really good. Won by a field goal. A and M four point one. I mean, that wasn't. It was not like a relaxing <laughs> sprint to the finish by any stretch. Now, my first game ever in person was the 2000 OU OSU game, and the I, I remember, I remember Josh Heupel sneaking it in for a, a touchdown at the beginning of the game, and then I remember Derek Strait hitting uh, hitting the ball out of Rashawn Woods's or you know, just hitting it in the air, and that's all I remember. And I just kind of. Re- 
remember walking out as a 10 year old going like, yeah, oh, you won because that's what they're supposed to do because I'm an OU fan and I'm the main character of this story. I had no stress whatsoever. So I do want to mention real quickly before I, I go to the game, I want to talk about, there's just so much to talk about, about this, about OU Texas and about what we're doing. We're going to be spending some more time on this. If you listen to uh, Alan Bomani, they talk about, uh, you know, Texas and their ability to be ready for SEC. You know, Brady had some stuff earlier saying these guys, you know, People are saying, you know, Texas is more ready. But you got like Bomani, who's looking at it from a very different perspective, saying Texas isn't used to recruiting the way they're going to have to recruit for to be great in the SEC. And Oklahoma already does that. Like they already go now. I mean, it's, it's very interesting topics and stuff of how these programs are set up to succeed or fail moving forward. I just wanted to toss that out there. Jump on that if you haven't listened to it yet. It's a great tradition uh, a lot of OU fans have. I say, I mean, who knows how many people, but listening to the Bamani podcast every year with Alan, uh, it's kind of like the final thing before the game. So that was fantastic to be able to get that out. Uh, I did want to talk about Bama a and I mean, this is a, an a, a Bama team that has a, a hard ceiling. They're a good football team. They're not a great football team. It's weird to see. I think people want to see this out. I mean, I won't say want, but I think people kind of expect this Alabama team to lose more because they're kind of not great. You know, there's a pretty good college football team. Uh, but every week they just kind of keep winning. <laughs> uh, and it's like, okay, uh, and this is out. This is A&M's shot. I mean, they sh- A&M, they're not going to get rid of Jimbo. It's too much money. And they've invested themselves too much emotionally. And, like, you know, they've they've put themselves, that, that brand is now on Jimbo at that perspective. Uh, and just to not get it done and to, and to look bad doing it and, and to kind of, I, I don't know. This game feels so strange to me on both sides of these things. You, you just have this Alabama team who walks into a week, and it seems like they're going to lose. I thought they were going to lose to Ole Miss, and you just completely dog-walked them out of the stadium. Uh, it, it just in, and you have this A&M squad who's like, okay, is this the week they're going to get out of their way? Is this the week they're finally going to put together? They have all this talent. They're going to do it. And there's week after week after week. It's just they just don't, and or they just can't. I'm not really sure from that. It just – to me, the AM thing, obvious. I, I've just ranted. This game was a perfect encapsulation of what a good coach versus what a bad coach is. Alabama is talent is not quite there, but they have the good coach. AM's talent is great, but they've got the bad coach. And they couldn't and one guy can navigate enough wins to kind of get the team where they want to be. Obviously, I do not believe this team's a national championship winner contender. Uh, but they could find themselves in a playoff by doing this, by winning, keep winning. And A&M has all the talent in the world bought and paid for. I'm very jealous. I have the ability to do that. That's not me hating. That's me, you know, yearning <laughs> uh, to have that ability. And you've got Jimbo who just can't figure out, get out of his own way to to coach them to a level in which they should, because they should be winning these games. Alabama's there to be killed and they just won't do it. Uh, it it's very strange to me. Uh, but I guess that's just the, the perfect narrative of that game. It's just one has a good coach, one has a bad coach, and now you just move on, shrug your shoulders, and move on. But did either did any uh, you guys watch the Bama A and M game, the, the the second most watched game uh, of the weekend? I mean, it kind of reminded me of just OU in in the Big Twelve in the kind of mid to late twenty tens, where there were some moments for Big Twelve schools to knock OU off, and not just for a one-off game on a random Saturday, but for like, hey, let's give them a two-game losing streak and try to knock them off their pedestal. And yet, OU would basically always come out on top and they would end up winning the Big 12. And it's because 
it's hard to do. It's hard to knock the champ out. You can get them. You can catch them napping every once in a while, but there's just something mental about, oh my God, like we're, we're beating them. Like, I can't believe it's actually, oh God, they just took the lead. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's, it, there's just something mental about it that is so difficult for teams to get over. This one felt to me like Jimbo blinked. I mean, it just felt to me like, um, I don't know if AM would have won if Jimbo had played more aggressively and been, you know, and, and done the more kind of, um, optimal strategy type stuff <laughs> but by not doing that i think he completely destroyed any chance a them had had of winning this game and i mean like i would i would pin this one on him i didn't get to watch i was ingesting many uh wax cup paper beers there so. it is <laughs> <laughs> uh uh brady do you have a game you want to talk about for the week six games well I, I wanted to talk about the uh, Notre Dame and Miami games, but kind of in a different way. But I think mm-hmm. someone had already picked Notre Dame, so I just was going to bring it up once we got to it. But it's interesting to me. I mean, obviously, OU beats Texas. And, of course, like OU is going to be the darling as an undefeated team that proved it on the field. Um, I just want to remind everybody um, the – I don't think Brent Venables got hate from last year. I think, I think people were willing to understand, but there were a lot of like kind of softballs lobbed at him in terms of like, I don't know if it's going to work out. And Oh, look at Lincoln Riley over there at USC. Oh, Caleb Williams won the Heisman. Like, see, like it made sense. Oh, Oh, you might've bitten off more than they can chew. There was a lot of that in the air. Mario Cristobal has a worse season. And I, I understand no one really gives a fuck about Miami in Miami. Um, but they're, I, I would put them in one of those schools that we were talking about earlier where the media would rather them be good because they remembered when Miami was badass in the eighties and the nineties and the early two thousands. Um, they would want, they kind of want that to happen. So it, it, to me, it just seemed like, Oh yeah, Mario Cristobal gets a, gets a pass. We think he's a good head coach anyway, because look what he did at Oregon. Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. I understood why he got a lot of hype the media loves when a young hot assistant coach gets the head coaching job because the young assistant coach is not very tenured. They are a little bit friendlier with the media. It it never fails. They're like, Oh, we can get it in. We can get it in with this guy because he he's not, he's not long in the tooth and knows how to keep us at arm's length just yet. Like maybe we can get some access here and there. Oh, that's going to be cool. So a lot of like roses were thrown at him, despite the fact they would lose to Marshall. And despite the fact that their team just looked very boring. And guess what? Year two of Marcus Freeman, they looked very boring. Mario Cristobal at Miami, they were undefeated. And oh my God, what a blunder of a, of a loss. What, what an absolute embarrassment of. And how not to lose the first time he's done. Exactly yeah, not the that first time. thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're, we're praising Brent Venables because he has shown the ability to take a roster that is just not good enough, especially if you're talking about the University of Oklahoma. And he, for the most part, because he, he we did bring in some transfers that have proven to be very good, mm-hmm. um, but they are sprinkled across the roster. He didn't just overhaul it like Coach Prime of Colorado, and now the podcast has jumped up and skyrocketed in the ratings. <laughs> um, but on the, you better put that in the description, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> um, but he has taken a roster for the most part, and developed it into this. He has learned from past mistakes. He has learned some game management from game management mistakes he made last season and not made the same mistakes so far this season, at least. Cristobal did that same damn thing at Oregon. 
So he hadn't learned. And, it, and it's not only just that, because yeah, he he lost the Stanford game in the exact same situation. He hasn't kneeled any game. He doesn't kneel. Like he, they broke down all the games this year, and every game this year he did not kneel. Like it was like, you think it's soft? What or are something? you doing? I, I I don't know. Like I, it, that part just. How does an analyst or two or the offensive coordinator not just be like, all right, screw it. We're, I don't care what he says, just take a knee. Or even just like an analyst stuff. Like, again, we're talking all over the place. We're in, I'm, in the, I'm in the basking glow of Texas. Uh, when Texas was up, they ran hurry up. And with the thing, they were trying to get, they're trying to have the last possession and they just didn't milk the clock. I mean, it's just like, there's some coaches who need, uh, I don't know. There needs to be like a little AI program tells them what to do or something. Offensive coaches, man. Look, I I loved... Go for the kill shot or something. Be aggressive. 2017 to 2019, I was all on the Lincoln-Riley train. It was fun to watch. We we hadn't seen enough to... like. Some of us had... We we started to see like the idea of what was to come from a culture and program standpoint. Mm -hmm. But I loved watching the offenses kick ass like each and every week. It was fun. Um but there's just something to be said about the ego of an offensive coach who becomes the head coach where they just cannot get out of their own damn way. And it, it happened to an extent uh, with OU Texas. It seems to happen all the time with Chris Ball. But the weird thing is, wasn't he an offensive lineman at Miami when he played? Yes, uh, he was. And that's so. his you're, background. Yeah, lineman. Yeah, you're supposed to be a tough physical guy. Yeah. And I, I, guess, I guess that makes sense. Like, oh, kneeling the ball is soft. And I'm I'm tough. It's like that was stupid. Anyway, the whole point of that like Notre Dame, Miami kind of conversation was just people were excited about Cristobal. They were excited about Marcus Freeman, and so far those programs have kind of they could change. Marcus Freeman can build something at Notre Dame. Cristobal can uh, has got Miami going in a better direction. Uh, but a mistake like that, can you imagine if Brent did something like that? People would burn the place to the ground, <laughs> absolutely burn it to the ever loving ground. And I don't condone violence, but I mean, I would be joining in on the anger and frustration because the head coach of the University of Oklahoma, when the expectations are there now, does not make a mistake like that. So I just think it's interesting that the uh, the narratives and the, the discussions around Cristobal and Freeman and those other young uh, head coach, first first year head, or not necessarily first year with Chris Ball, but Marcus Freeman, first year head coach, um, compared to what it is now with Brent Venables, it, it's yeah, yeah kind of interesting to me. All right, we're running a little bit long in the two, so we're going to speed around this a little bit. Uh, week seven, oh, he has a bye week, so we'll talk a little bit about games we're looking at. The game that Allen picked out, we'll let him talk, but, uh, man, Ari Wasserman just must be in shambles knowing we're going to talk about this team. But we have Notre Dame, uh, <laughs> USC, which I want to say, from a very personal standpoint, in your normal day human life, 100% correct. <laughs> in college football, 100% not correct. <laughs> Yeah, fuck them, fuck them, fuck them. What, what did Payton's, he say? Well, Payton's Basically, oh, you needs to move yeah. on. Yeah, that, oh, it's like Payton swear jar again, swear jar again, man of Sorry, sorry, man of sorry, man of face. Sorry, yeah. five hundred. There's a long deep drive to left by Castellanos. It'll be a home run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Ari Wasserman's point was like time to give up the hate on Lincoln Riley thing. Uh, I'm with Peyton. Like, yeah, pettiness is one thing that college football thrives on. It's like a, the lifeblood of the sport. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, um, no, I, 
I I honestly think though that the way Notre Dame's playing right now, I mean, they just look like they have nothing left in the tank. No. Um, and so, you know, this is a, a shot where I really thought, I thought coming into the year, I was pretty high on uh, Notre Dame's chances here getting this win. I'm starting to think USC might have a shot even as poorly as their defense has played. So uh, we'll see here, but um, yeah, no, should, it's just an interesting, it's a good, it's a, you know, long time, great rivalry. It'll be on prime time on NBC. So it should be fun. Was it the isn't it the shillelagh the jeweled sh- sh- shillelagh the jeweled shillelagh yes yes that's pretty and, uh, fucking yeah. sweet gangs in New York so, <laughs> uh, he he puts a he cuts it and puts it on there like that's you this yeah, that's fucking badass scene yeah, uh, but yeah the Notre Dame uh, USC perspective of it did you guys see the uh uh the the Lincoln Riley stuff that came out just a little bit ago like the he had some interview talking about I want to be retired by 50 and I'm interested in coaching the NFL because they have off seasons yeah, that I don't have to worry that. about. It's wild to think his number one thing we loved about Lincoln Riley was his recruiting. He's over there bitching about. Yeah. Pretty, I mean, pretty crazy. Yeah. It seems no, like I, that's in the cards at some point for him. Right. I mean, I, for I'm sure. sure. I'm sure when he was a coordinator, he probably enjoyed recruiting because he only had one job, go recruit offensive players and mainly go yeah. recruit quarterbacks. And for him, even as the head coach, that is incredibly easy. He's Lincoln Riley. He can get any quarterback he wants. Um, If you want to go to the NFL, win the Heisman Trophy and all that, like go play for Lincoln Riley. Like the, the results speak for themselves. I'm not going to hate on that. Um, But as a head coach, when you're involved with recruiting linebackers and kickers and a center, and a, a nickelback, you know, the boring position. I don't want to do that. It's boring. I want to score. I want to make Caleb Williams. I want to make the offense lineup in the ninja and just have him flag football his way to the pylon for the two point conversion. Cause I'm a genius. Ari now, I will a say fucking loser, by the way, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I will say just, just ever so slightly to contradict uh, Alan's perspective. It just depends on what Notre Dame tries to do. I mean, how much of out of gas they truly, truly are. Uh, if they just run uh, directly uh, at Barra Alexander uh, all day long, they could win. <laughs> if they decide to try to do some stuff that uh, is not running the football directly at that defensive line, uh, they could fuck around and lose. But, um, and then Caleb is, I mean, I will say that. I mean, that, that two-point conversion play, which what the fuck one, what the fuck was that play? Two, oh my good god, Caleb Williams is just yeah, <laughs> the best football player on earth. Uh, it insulted player on earth. It insulted me as a football was, fan. Like that, I just that saw was, that. Yeah, it was, it was an ISO play. I mean, it was just yeah. like clear out. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone got the three point line. I've got this. This is fucking it was wild. Russell, that was the play. It was Russell Westbrook. Yeah. <laughs> Waving it is, yeah, <laughs> a, 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 the, the, yeah, a genius, genius offensive coordinator pulls that play out and says, Caleb, just run around and score. I mean, it's, I, mean it, I, I have no idea what the hell is going on. Uh, I, I picked Washington, Oregon, basically because uh, I believe, again, my haterade, USC is probably the third best Pac-12 team. Uh, this is the, uh, the team. There's no divisions, right, this year for Pac-12? So this may yeah. be a, a rematch again from their perspectives, Washington and Oregon. However, that kind of uh, walks through. Uh, this is a team, Penix, Bo Nix. This should be your headlining uh, thing. Uh, both teams flying high, Pacific Northwest. You know, Pac-12 is going out with the boom at this point in time. Um, I, this is a game I'm actually interested in watching with zero investment and hope it's uh, 
you know, I, I kind of hope it's kind of like the Red River game because I had some people saying like, man, imagine if you weren't a fan of either of these teams. This is super entertaining, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, so it would be interesting to watch a team, a game play out kind of like that uh, for the Pacific Northwest, uh, the friends on that. Brady, did you have anything you wanted to watch uh, week 12, week 12, week 7? Yeah, yeah, I'm actually kind of looking forward to Kentucky and Missouri. I want Missouri okay. to start losing. There's not really a particular reason why I want to watch Missouri um, start losing all their games. And boy, are they going to start losing them with their schedule? Um, but, you know, I, I just like to see, you know, them start losing again, n- not for a particular reason. Yeah, but who knows? No who, knows reason. What, who knows what could happen? You know, it's football. And then uh, I, I guess it's good to win. Oh, you've gotten a bunch of uh, crystal balls, a bunch of stuff for some uh, offensive linemen, for some safeties, and uh, it looks like things are going to start walking through. So if OU can keep winning, uh, which was always the case uh, for this recruiting class, is OU wins, OU will get stuff, OU will prove some points, and they'll move forward from that perspective. Uh, but that's pretty much our show. I think we had some extras on there maybe, but we tossed them all kind of in, in and out. Uh, I want to say thank you to everyone for listening to the chaoticness that was this show. Uh, but Texas brings out something nice in our hearts. I mean, optimism's running wild over at the third keyhole. Uh, if you want to keep running that through, make sure you join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Uh, we have film review up tomorrow. I'll be talking to Red Dirt Sport this week as well as Kelly Ford. I believe Alan has Chip. Patterson, I believe, yeah, of Chip cover Patterson three. Of cover three, yeah. So we'll talk um, some ACC or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The ACC thing's interesting because all three of their undefeated teams don't play each other, don't play I believe. Each other, yeah. uh, so that's that'd be very, very interesting how that could all shake out. Uh, but thank you for listening. Um, thank you, um, uh, Vanessa House, Scratch, uh, The Spirit Shop. Thank you guys for supporting us. All the Patreons, thank you guys so much. Phil, one more time. Sorry for the cursing, but it's Texas. You, you, you understand. You'll for you'll pray for me. Thank you so much uh, for Alan, uh, for uh, Brady, for Matt, and for myself, and for my dogs. You may have heard during the podcast recording. Boomer, sir. <laughs>